Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Bobo 89.1 FM. I'm your host, Chuck Taylor, and welcome to another exciting episode of Healthcare Today with the HSA. And uh, we just crossed October 22nd, which was a big day for International Stuttering Awareness Day. Uh, and I have someone here with me who will help us kind of get a broader view and understanding of this, because this is a very challenging aspect of life, because it involves conversation and involves just the act of being heard and the communication, which is, which is, if you've ever been in a situation where you lost your voice, imagine somebody living like that that can't communicate effectively. It is scary. And we're here with Miss Faith. Good morning to you. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. So, um, tell tell my listeners who you are. You're a stranger to the program, but once again, uh, go ahead, give a little bit of the credentials, and then we'll jive right into the scenario. Sure. My name is Faith Gailey. I'm the Senior Speech and Language Therapist at HSA, and I'm also, my official title is Team Lead for Speech and Occupational Therapies, but I am part of a team of dynamic speech and language therapists who provide um, speech therapy, care, assessments, interventions from birth through end of life at HSA. And this is what you just ended right there with is probably what I hope people will understand. This is a scenario that can activate as early as birth, trying mm -hmm. to communicate, and also towards the end of life when speech impediments become very obtuse. Imagine you being able to speak all your life, mm -hmm. and now as you've gotten older, not able to communicate effectively. It, it, it just boggles the mind, but these are real-life scenarios that we're talking about. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so um. Tell me in some other words, let, let me understand exactly what is stuttering and then we can get into some of the, the, the therapy services that are available for this and we can go from there. Sure. So in, you know, layman's terms, stuttering is a speech sound disorder that's characterized by um, interruptions of the flow of the way that people talk. Um, I mean, we can get into the science of it if people okay. are if people are interested. Well, I, I am. I'm people, so <laughs> let, let, and, and we have to remember, folks. Um, what we're talking about is kind of a, a very short synopsis of it because yes. this this is. This is deep. It is. And I mean, this is an area where some clinicians dedicate their whole life. Um, I was fortunate enough at Florida State University to have Lisa Scott as my fluency um, professor. And she was one of the leaders of stuttering research um, in her time. And so she'd written textbooks, um, done longitudinal studies for the Stuttering Foundation, written um, counseling books, and, you know, really, really um, was one of the people that helped shape speech therapy instead of this fix it to this looking at a at the whole person and this holistic view right. towards supporting persons who stutter and so um you know i'm very fortunate to have studied under her and be able to like translate that type of approach into mm -hmm. hsa and and thankfully everyone on the team you know all follows that type of mindset where we're looking at everybody individually um and holistically right um but stuttering also known as stammering so it's the mm -hmm. same thing it's just a different vernacular is basically a disfluency disorder um it's characterized by repetitions of sounds words or syllables um, sometimes we notice prolongations um, sometimes there's blocks um 
<clears throat> or sometimes people use interjections like mm -hmm. um, which yeah. we all do. And I think it's important to note that we all stutter at some point. We right. all are disfluent at some point and sometimes we're more disfluent than other times like when we're tired or we're not feeling well or we have a foggy brain maybe like we're taking some medication or something or coming out of anesthesia um, those are all periods in our life where we might be a little bit more disfluent than normal um, but people who have disfluency disorders or people who stutter stutter at a higher percentage than what is considered the, the norm. So we would expect um, a, a typical person would speak within like less than two and a half percent of mm -hmm. everything they say would be stuttered or disfluent. Th there would be some sort of repetition, some sort of pausing, some sort of interjection. Right. Yes. And that is normal, right? Um, think about when you're mad or you're upset. Sometimes, you know, you just, and I, I, I just can't, you know, you're, and, and it's like, and but we, can't don't, find the words we can't find the words. Part. Exactly. So that is a normal part of the way that we speak. Mm -hmm. um, people who stutter, just hap it just happens to them at a higher frequency. And with research, um, science is able to, to help us understand a little bit more. Like there's been four genes that have been identified as possible. Um, genes that affect stuttering, but that's only in 20% of the severe stuttering cases. There's also um, some research that supports that there's some, like, so I'm getting really technical here, <laughs> but, but I think it's important for people to understand and learn how their body works. And so um, there's some research that, that discusses that this is potentially an issue in the basal ganglia. So if we're looking um, at the sort of the bottom, if you if you think about your brain, like sort of near the bottom of the brain, mm -hmm. um, that's your internal timing, right? And so right. that's what helps you pace. So if, when you look at research, children who stutter are less likely to kind of follow the beats. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just like an internal timing that's off. And so that I, affects the speech sound movements. I remember uh, when I was in school, we had a, a young gentleman who stuttered. And for him, singing mm -hmm. and the cadence of rhyming like mm -hmm. he, when he sang he didn't stutter and mm -hmm. we always thought it was like wow mm -hmm. when, when you sing and when you say these nursery rhymes and things of this nature you don't stutter mm -hmm. but when you try to talk mm -hmm. so with him we kind of got in the habit of him kind of almost singing what he wanted to say and kind of rapping to what he wanted to say mm -hmm. because it came off clearer to him is this kind of what we were looking at? at right. The so um, that's a phenomenon that is common with most people who stutter. They, if they're whispering, if they're singing, um, a lot of times when there's some type of timing provided for them, they're able to produce more fluent speech. Okay. And so there are some natural phenomenons um, where you see that sometimes also when people are acting. And so there's a lot of famous actors like Emily Blount and um, James Earl Jones who are like famous stutterers. There's a lot of singers who are, who are famous for their stuttering. Um, and so not famous for stuttering, but, but, but they're famous and, and they're and they, known to be stutterers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, but that's actually one of the strategies that we use to treat persons who stutter is using external timing cues, so like time syllables, mm -hmm. um, to sort of help provide a basis for that rhythm of speech to assist with more fluent speech. And we'll, we'll, we can talk more about treatment of um, stuttering disorders okay. later on. Well, well we, we just crossed uh, October 22nd, which is what we observe as international stuttering um, Dave, why do we observe this? And, and, and I mean, we understand, you know, that, that it's globally, but why? Well, part of it is um, 
just to help raise awareness about stuttering, it is one of the most common speech deficits um, that affects persons and it, and it impacts their quality of life. There's no cure for stuttering. So people who stutter, it's something that they have to live with for their whole lives. Um, and it can really impact their quality of life because a lot of times people are impatient with them, with how they communicate. Um, it affects their confidence and their self-esteem and, and their their confidence in expressing themselves in the work setting and social settings. Um, so, you know, it just helps to raise awareness. One, so that I think generally the world is going towards a place where we're really focusing more on inclusion and, and realizing that just like how we have diversity in terms of our physicality. So some of us might be short, some tall, some you know on the heavier side, some on the thinner side, um, differences in eye color, skin color, hair texture. And those are all just wonderful examples of the diversity of, of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to realize that we have just as much diversity on the inside. So we have just as much diversity in our neurology, um, in our communication styles, in the way that we think, the way that we learn. And that's okay if you're not part of that cookie cutter mold. And so it just helps to increase awareness and acceptance of people who stutter internationally. Well, one of the things that uh, I would like to say is that, you know, there has always been a myth, and, and listen closely, folks, a myth of linking stuttering to intelligence. Yes. That, that, that's the first thing I, I want to, I mean, we, we can get into all the science, that, but l let's take a look at this real quickly. Um, there is nothing that goes so. Is is am I good in saying that? You are good in saying that. It is there. You know, stuttering is not a cognitive disorder. It is does not impact intelligence whatsoever. It simply impacts the muscles and the speed in which you're able to speak. So it's simply a motor speech disorder. It has nothing to do with um, your intelligence level. Okay. And so it is. That is a myth. You're correct. And, and, and folks, that that's like me not running as fast as Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that's just how it is, but I can run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I can run okay for me, but I'm just not as fast as him. Mm -hmm. So so once again, it, it is something that, you know, um, in the past, people I, I know and, and folks, you know, I, we're trying to level the understanding mm -hmm. of, of us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and people have been cruel in the past, and, and this is one of the things I, I hope doesn't continue. Yeah. Um, people who stuttered, have been bullied. They, yes. they they have you know have had a hard way just because mm -hmm. they were not understood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I when I say that that's on us. It mm -hmm. has nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. that if someone speaks Spanish and I don't understand Spanish, does that make them less intelligent? No. No. So so the fact of that we have to understand and, and be able to grow with this person because especially now I think you know um. When I'm nervous, I stutter. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm speaking engagement, and I'm like, calm down, because I will stutter. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is just one of the things that, you know, we have to take a look at, because as we said, it's not linked to being less intelligent in no way, shape, and form. No, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. Um, and a lot of times people will say, well, like, where does stuttering come from? And, and and it's one of those things that we don't have a definitive answer. You know, a lot of times you'll hear some of the old wives' tales and, oh, you know, it's because you stood behind a horse and, you know, like all mm -hmm. kinds of things. Right. Um, and if you put a nutmeg under your tongue, then, you know, you, <laughs> you won't stutter. And, like, it has absolutely nothing to do with that. What we do know is that it does disproportionate 
disproportionately affect boys than it does girls. Um, we know that there tends to be a strong genetic link, which would make sense now that we found some genetic markers mm-hmm. um, that help to identify stuttering. And there's, like I said, they've only found four definitive genes that seem to be associated with the stutter in some way, shape, or form, but there's likely more. Okay. Um, because that only accounts for a small percentage. But we do know, for example, that there is a, um, not for example, because I was about to give an example, <laughs> <laughs> but we do know that there there is a stronger um, genetic link, and a lot of times it's passed, not necessarily directly. So, for example, when I was working in the States, there's my for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, see, I wasn't, I, even I, as a speech therapist, am not always fluent, right? right. And, um and I didn't realize that these two kids I was working with were related um, until like I was doing the intake. One was an established child that I had inherited onto my caseload and one was a new child. And I, and I, you know, I called the mom and did an interview and I said, oh, do you have family members who stutter? Yeah, he has a, a cousin who stutters. And then, and his uncle stutters and the other uncle stutters and the grandfather stuttered. And so it was, and then I was like, oh, and she's like, yeah, my cousin goes to the school. And I'm like, Oh, so this is clearly genetic, like a genetic Mm -hmm. associated stutter, right? Right. And so you don't treat it any differently. But a lot of times when we're doing our evaluations, those are some of the questions that your therapist may ask you. Like, is there anybody on either side of the family who stutters? It might be an uncle, a grandparent. And it's not to say it only happens in the male um, family members. It can Mm -hmm. happen in females, too. It's just it tends to be more males more that are effect, that are affected yeah what are some of the early signs of stuttering i mean we, we once again because it's motorized it's something that mm-hmm. you can adjust over time yes yeah. so so what are some early signs that we could look for in a in a young child in a very young child yes mm-hmm. so you'll notice that they may be repeating words or phrases a lot um, there is, there's two main types of stuttering. So we have developmental stuttering. So this happens as a child and neurogenic stuttering, which is I've had a stroke, a brain injury, some, some type of neurological trauma that has now triggered me to stutter as an adult. Um, with developmental stuttering, some children do outgrow it. Um, there are some researchers that feel like it's a disconnect between, um, how quickly the child's vocabulary and just lexicon is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a disconnect between what they're, what's in their little brains and what's coming out of their mouth. Um, so typically what we're looking for is if this has been persistent for more than three to six months, um, you, you may notice some frustration from the child. Some children, it doesn't bother them, but you're noticing a consistent with certain words, blocks. Um, they're trying to get the sound out and it's almost like they're on pause. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they might be like, mommy, what are you doing? And so you might notice that. And a lot of times parents, it frightens parents very, right. you know, because they're like, what's going on with my little they, one? They, they, they think something is neurological. Right. Yeah, they, they get concerned and, and they want to make sure their language is developing okay. Um, you know, it might be part word repetitions or part sound repetitions. Um, it might be just the first part of the word. Um, like, let me see. So it might just be like, say if they're talking Paw Patrol, they might say Paw, 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 Paw Patrol. So you mm-hmm. might notice that repetition mm-hmm. of the words. Um, for very young children, you notice an inflection change as well. So you'll notice that rise in inflection. So they'll okay. go, I was, you know, because they're trying to push the sound out. Uh, um, okay. And for some children, you may notice some tugging. They might, you might notice that they're tugging at their lips 
or um, things that we, we call secondary behaviors, which is not the actual speech, but it is physical things that they're doing, whether it's tugging at their lips or slapping their leg or um, snapping their fingers or, or, or like stomping their feet. So um, it's not uncommon to see persons who stutter have secondary behaviors. And so that is also a sign that this is something that's really bothering the child. Um, And so we encourage families to bring their child in to get an evaluation. We would do a thorough case history. We'd also look at your child's um, language and their speech sound development, just making sure that everything else looks normal. And what we would do is during like through play, um, try to get a good language sample so we can see examples. Um, And I tell parents, like, don't stress about it. Sometimes they don't stutter in front of you (laughs) initially, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and sometimes they stutter even more than they do and so I encourage parents also like to grab videos of of the child stuttering at home just to kind of document it happening in Mm because you can't always like make a stutter happen so it's nice and then we just kind of evaluate it look at the length of time it's happening the family history to see if this is something the child is likely to outgrow or if this is a true stutter Um, and then we just start working on working with the child and and giving the parent and the family strategies Mm -hmm. on how to cope a lot of times just with good parent coaching, the child is able to resolve without much intervention when they're really young. Okay. Um, and so, but if they're a little bit older, they may need a little bit more, little bit one more. more one-on-one intervention. On, on average, because everybody's different. And so we're going to talk kind of in a broader sense. How long does an intervention can take? J- j- just, just, I mean, because mm-hmm. as I said, you know, each case in each person and child mm-hmm. is individual is mm-hmm. individualized but on average when can we kind of see some movement in the right direction i tell families it really just depends on the child um we are huge fans of episodic care the research is really going in that direction and at hsa we're always looking at what is evidence-based um for a long time there was this view that you know you needed intensive intervention more is better um and just basically like overload the child and actually research is showing that therapy burnout is a real thing for kids and that really and truly the best thing to do is to combine parent coaching with episodes of care. So typically what we would do is do like a 12-week episode of care. Um, so like a three-month period where you would work with the clinician and we're, we're, get, we're working with the child in our sessions quite intensively, doing lots of modeling. But we also have the family and the caregivers involved and are constantly doing parent training in conjunction with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on that 12-week mark, we may decide to extend the episode for a few weeks, maybe to a 16-week episode, depending on how the child is responding. But normally in our clinic, we have seen massive improvements with episodic care, and that's in line with where a lot of the pediatric hospitals, the big pediatric hospitals in the U.S. are going towards that. And the research is showing three strong episodes of care per annum is just as effective, if not more effective, than intensive therapy for one year. And so, you know, more is not always better. And so, um, and I think that's a shift that um, we don't, we're not seeing in a lot of the other facilities and that's definitely I think one area where HSA is standing out because we're doing episodes of care and the families are just blown away when we are saying yeah we'll do 12 weeks and have a look and then in 12 weeks they've made more progress than they have like in a year Mm -hmm. you know and so they're so surprised but it's in line with what the research is showing and we're constantly challenging ourselves to do what is evidence-based yeah sounds good once again folks thank you so much for tuning in it's healthcare today with the hsa 
I'm your host, Chuck Taylor, and we're talking with Miss Faith Geely about International Stuttering Awareness Day that just happened on October 22nd. We'll be back in a few moments, and we'll continue our talk about stuttering and also speech and language therapy and also the services that the HSA provides. Be back in 2 and 2, right here on Bobo 89.1 FM. The Cayman Islands Health Services Authority's General Practice and Public Health Clinics have relocated to Smith Road Medical Center. At the new location, you'll receive top quality care in a comfortable modern space enhancing your patient experience. Do you have flu-like symptoms or other non-emergent illnesses or injury? HSA's new urgent care walk-in clinic is now open at the main hospital campus. The new general practice location is for appointments only. For more information, call 949-8600 or visit hsa.com. Now back to Healthcare Today with HSA and our host, Chuck Taylor. Once again, thank you for tuning in. It's Healthcare Today with HSA. I'm your host, Chuck Taylor. And today we're talking about International Stuttering Awareness Day, which just passed on the 22nd of this month. But um, this is something that is um, got to be one of the most challenging situations for anybody who has this um I, I want to call it a, a change in lifestyle because once you start stuttering, your whole world changes. Yes. And I have with me uh, Miss Faith Geely. Uh, she, you know, Miss Faith, go ahead and tell them your credentials over <laughs> there. <laughs> so my name is Faith Geely. I am the senior speech and language therapist at HSA. I am the team lead for speech and occupational therapies. Um, I have a master's degree in communication sciences and disorders, and I have been a speech therapist for 15 years. 14 at HSA. <laughs> and, and those credentials goes without saying, I got to just dive into it. So uh, over the HSA, uh, speech and language, tell, tell me a little bit about the therapy that goes into that. I mean, you know, I, I, I walk in with a child or myself and, mm -hmm. and, and I have some sort of, of appendage in communicating. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to say disorder. I don't want to say I, I'm just not communicating effectively enough for mm -hmm. myself and for you. Mm -hmm. Tell me what I can do to help or what you can do to help. Sure. So we have um, a team of three therapists and we're growing soon, which I'm so excited about. Um, we offer a huge range of supportive services for communication and for feeding. Um, we deal with articulation disorders. Um, feeding and swallowing disorders. We offer oral myofunctional therapy, oral facial myofunctional therapy. Um, as far as I'm aware, I think we're the only clinic that has that specialty on island, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, we deal with developmental disorders, so a wide range of wide communication range of stuff, stuff. Okay. language disorders, voice issues, um, as well as... Um, neurocognitive issues for adults and of course as we're talking about today fluency mm -hmm. disorders and we offer evaluations and treatment in all of the above from birth through end of life in fluency disorders we're, we're dealing with specifically stuttering so stuttering basically fluency disorder is the umbrella term for stuttering so okay. um western hemisphere tend to refer to it as stuttering the um even though the UK is considered Western. In the UK and in Europe, you might hear them say stammering more, mm -hmm. but it's the same thing. As we say, as we came out and say, same dog puppy. Okay. Same thing. Same, 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 <laughs> same thing. thing. Just, just from a different region. And fluency disorders is just sort of the umbrella term that mm -hmm. talks about any issues with your fluency of speech. Okay. And when you say fluency of speech, um, what are as you said, what are some of the different types dealing with that? Sure. So um, typically we would 
categorize it as a developmental speech disorder, um, meaning it, the onset is during developmental years, so in childhood, or a neurogenic speech disorder, which this has um, happened in adulthood, but the result of that is more related to an acquired neurological condition. So um, you may have had a stroke, a head injury, um, you may have reacted poorly to anesthesia. Um, so there's usually been some type of trigger, trigger yeah. or some type of damage caused to the brain that has now caused the stuttering to be expressed. Um, and so with developmental stuttering, which is the most common type of stuttering that we deal with, normally, um, parents start to see some red flags of it from about two, um, definitely by three years old, because, you know, between two and three, you see that transition from that baby talk to like more mature communication. Mm -hmm. um, and so definitely between two and three is when parents start to notice um, that onset of stuttering. Um, sometimes it can happen later. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of it. Um, but so, but that is the most common type. Um, once we've diagnosed your child as having a stutter, then they're typically grouped into a fluent or non-fluent stuttering, meaning um, your stuttering is characterized primarily by um, blocks. So like things that are stopping the flow of air. So like you, where you, the block is literally where you're like frozen mm -hmm. in, in your speech or it's fluent where it's very fast, but we're seeing a lot of those like part word repetitions, whole word repetitions, prolongations, those sort of things. So, so there is a, um, a difference in, would you say, as we talked about earlier, the timing of it, um, where is, because um, you, you mentioned swallowing. Is that a, because a, a, I know when I talk on air, I get out of breath mm -hmm. and, and I'm fighting to get the words out before I finish my breath. Is this something that you see with people who stutter a bit where the swallowing and the air breathing has has kind of given them some restrictions is this something so not normally swallowing swallowing is not normally um, a part of fluency disorder now you can be a person who stutters and also have dysphagia or feeding disorder but the two are not necessarily interconnected okay. um, you can sometimes as a result of learned compensation strategies. So a lot of times people who stutter kind of come up with their own little tricks and strategies to compensate and deal with their stutter. And so sometimes you can see some um, just inappropriate breathing strategies, that sort of stuff, just not really being coordinated and knowing how to use my breath to strengthen my voice. So you may see some of that in, in stuttering, but it's not, the two are not mutually exclusive okay. either. Yeah. Okay. Typically what we see is that um, it, there is a timing issue in the rate of speech. And so the speech is either too fast, too slow, or um, is impeded, the rate of speech is impeded by the stutters themselves, whether it's interjections. So I'm talking and um, 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 I'm putting in a lot of interjections in my communication. I may have a prolongation where I'm holding the sound for a long time. I may have a part word repetition, where I'm just doing the, a, a syllable or just a small part of the word, or I could have a whole, 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 whole world repetition, typically mm -hmm. with a sh like a monosyllabic word, where I'm repeating the word in its entirety. Um, or I could just be having a 
block where there's a pause of air, um, almost like they're frozen or stuck right. in that sound. And, and, and they then, can't get it out. And they can't get it out. And then there's like an explosion when it comes out. Um, and so there's a myriad of techniques that... That's what I was just about mm-hmm. to ask. You, you just mentioned probably about five or six different versions mm-hmm. of the idea of stuttering. Mm-hmm. And each one of them comes with a different technique mm-hmm. to address them. Um, the, on a whole, I always thought that, um, and mind you, this is kind of debunking it, mm-hmm. uh, that stuttering kind of, well, you were thinking, but mm-hmm. you couldn't get the words out. Because that's what we have been kind mm-hmm. of told Oh, you're looking for the word. Mm-hmm. You need to know more words to. Mm-hmm. You're not communicating properly. Mm-hmm. Ha, w- w- I can't tell you how many times I've had family say, "You know, I just shout at them or I just tell them get it out," <laughs> and and then they get it out, and I'm like, "Please don't do that. <laughs> Please stop doing that." Yeah. But it's just again, it's just myths that have been perpetuated, and again, like people just not being aware, um, and so they kind of come up with their own kind of tricks to the trade, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, to compensate for it. And families come up with their own dynamic of of how to deal with stuttering. Um, And typically what we would do is we would look at... one of the things that we do at HSA is we're very focused on patient-centered care. So from the initial conversation, as soon as the child is shows that they are cognizant enough and aware enough about their own speech, we get them involved and we do like use social stories and, and different like great like children's books that talk about like Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife. She wrote a great book about the President Biden's um, stutter. Yeah, and and pe- people don't know that he, he has had uh, a long history of mm-hmm, stuttering, mm-hmm. and I mean, it comes out now and again, but you don't you don't notice no. it. But I remember I, I saw him uh, doing um, a speech at the in in the U.S. You know, the legislative uh, mm-hmm. it was the House of Representative back in the late '80s, early '90s, and I was like, this can't be the same man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he, and, and at first I thought, you know, he was just angry. <laughs> But then I realized that he was actually stuttering. Yeah, I mean, we have prominent members in our community who are well respected and are and are known famously throughout our community to be stutterers. But we also know them to be very intelligent, articulate. very competent, and despite it, still very articulate people. I mean, you know, I think I think of one gentleman in particular, and I'm not going to name him on air because right. you know I, I believe course, in respecting people's privacy. Right. But I mean, I could listen to him all day, and I forget that he stutters because of the content and what he talks about mm-hmm. is so interesting to me. And I just think like the archive should lock him up and record like record him, him <laughs> because he has he's like literally a walking encyclopedia of Cayman his, history and legislative mm-hmm. history, and you know, and I, but such a respected person in this community, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but. You know, when I would imagine when he was growing up, there really wasn't access to that, any of those that's, things. That, that's what I want to kind of get at. In, in 2022, um, with all the understanding and the movement forward, it has changed mm-hmm. drastically mm-hmm. from, say, 10, 12 years ago, even, even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so where are we with the science today? So the science shows there's still no cure. There's still no known cure. And like I tell my families when I'm working with people, very young children, like there may be times where we need a, call it a top up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We may have responded beautifully to therapy and nice fluent speech. But there are times in a child's life where due to puberty, hormones, 
illnesses, social triggers, you know, like maybe now I'm interested in girls or now I'm interested in boys. And that adds a whole different dynamic of now I'm self-conscious about my speech and all of my strategies have gone out the window because I don't want anyone to notice and I don't mm. want to stand out. And so, um, so there'll always be like periods through your life where you may need a little bit of additional support. Um, but it's just as needed. And I have some patients that do great. And then maybe like a year later, we notice, oh, our stutterings kind of come back. So let's let's come back and do some more strategies um, and see if maybe the strategies that worked for us a year or two ago may not necessarily work now because of how I've developed and how I've changed. Um, and so we do a variety i mean there's fluency shaping techniques there's easy onset um, where you're you using the air the flow of air to lightly stutter mm -hmm. on things so it just reduces the severity of your stutter there's um, time syllable techniques which i love um, for kids where i literally just use a metronome and we just talk in a robotic voice but what it does is helps to reset that internal timing and it kind of breaks the pattern of the disfluency mm -hmm. speech and then we talk faster and faster until I have a more natural rhythm of speech right. and add in inflections and add in all the stuff. And I've had great results with that technique. And so, um, but every, every child is, every child is unique. Every individual is unique. And so like I tell my families, like I have a bunch of tools in my <laughs> toolkit, <laughs> right? And so guess what? If the hammer don't work, we got the screwdriver. Right. The screwdriver doesn't work. We got the drill, you know? And so I, I tell families like envision, your therapist as literally a toolbox of mm -hmm. different strategies, different techniques. And so I'm going to be using different techniques and every technique that we find that works, I'm training you on it. So you okay. can facilitate it with your child. Um, and just, I mean, the best technique is actually, though, just being a good model and mm -hmm. modeling nice, smooth, easy speech. And so because we tend to emulate what we hear, what we hear. now, there are some myths about you can catch a stutter. <laughs> I was just, just going to come to that. If, if, hold on. Let, let me just say this. You know, growing up, and this is something that I've heard before, you know, if you're stuttering, you got to take a deep breath or think about what you're going to say before, you, you, you know, you talk because you're going to stutter. Just, just take a deep breath, and then you say what you're going to say. No, no. Nothing don't go so. No, no. So the deep breath is great for patients who have voice issues, okay. <laughs> but not for stuttering. Um, unless you unless you happen to be a person where you carry a lot of tension as a secondary behavior, and then we may encourage some deep breathing techniques just to relax the musculature a little bit. But that's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and there would be very specific parameters in which we would describe some breathing techniques for. Mm -hmm. um, so no. 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 And see, th this, this is one of the things, you know, we... we and and I'm I love my Caribbean people and you know I say that with all honesty. This is something that we've heard over mm -hmm. and over in our community. We we, we grow, growing up we've we've had family members and, and usually at a young age mm -hmm. it's oh well you have so and so who stutters. Um, you know when you're around him you know you got to talk slower you got to you mm -hmm. know and and these types of things. And I always thought you know where did my where did they come up with this idea from? Mm -hmm. You know, is this known? Is this something that somebody is taught? No, it was kind of just, oh, well, this is what we've always done. But it was not. It was not proper. It was not the science. It, mm -hmm. In fact, I think, you know, we probably hurt a lot more than we helped. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that we have, as you said, enough tools in the toolkit mm -hmm. 
for you to make the right assessment. You know, mm. go if if you sing at an early age or in a later stage, you know, uh, go talk to Faith over there at the HSA. Talk to her team. You know, get get assessed so that you can make the right decisions moving forward because communication is is, is yeah. it right now. It is. And, you know, part of the reason that at HSA we push for, you know, this is why we come to do programs like this for, you know, the different various awareness days and weeks mm-hmm. and like for stuttering awareness because I can't think of a single person who isn't aware of at least one person that they know, that they've met, that they admire, that, you know, or they're or friends with their childs, with, with mm-hmm. their kid or whatever, that stutters, right? We all can think of at least one, one. person who Correct. stutters because it is one of the most common speech sound disorders um, or speech disorders, I should say. Sorry, not speech sound disorders. But 40% of treatment success can be attributed directly to the external factors involved in that patient's life. So that is family support, support from their peers, support from their teacher, like the people, yeah, the people around them, helping them to feel like they are okay, that they are supported, that they are heard, and using those supportive strategies with them across their different natural environments. 40%. So, 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 so 60% ex- is only me. 40% right. is outside, is outside. External, ex- external forces. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's a huge number. That is, that is a massive number. Yeah. So, so, folks, think of it this way. You can help someone who stutters mm-hmm. just by being there and talking mm-hmm. and being supportive mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Just listen to them. Allow them to get their thought out, even if it takes them a long time. Don't finish their sentences for them. Don't interrupt them. Don't yell at them. Just allow them to talk the same way that, you know, in in a normal conversation, you would allow someone to get their own thoughts out and their own ideas out. That's the approach that you take with someone who stutters. And your response to them, if you're noticing that they're really dysregulated and that they're really stuttering more than usual, you know, be a model and just speak to them in slightly slower smoother if you notice i'm kind of almost talking right. in that smooth it, it, way it's a very talking to you is very calm right it, it, it's it's you don't notice it but underlying mm-hmm. now it's very calm it's yeah. very smooth it's it's almost like a song being played yes very melodic and just in like just short syllables and just nice and smooth slightly drawn out speech but it's just modeling and so when i'm dealing with my young kids and we're talking about smooth speech or bumpy speech mm-hmm. you know we give lots of visuals you know roller coaster speech and all kinds of different mm-hmm. types of speech and you know we encourage our kids to visualize um and what do you feel like your speech is like what do you feel your voice is like is it like a river is it like a tree it's strong is it weak is it flowy you know, and so we really make it about the patient and patient-centered. And counseling is a huge part of our role as mm-hmm. a speech therapist because we have to shape families' behaviors if they've been engaging in things that could cause the child harm um, or cause that person harm, or, like in terms of their self-esteem and self-worth. Mm-hmm. And just also just empowering the patients to say, listen, fluent or not, your voice matters what you have to say matters. It's important. You're seen, you're heard, you are important. Regardless if you never speak a fluent word again in your life, you are entitled to your voice. And so a lot of that that we do is empowering the child and letting them know that your voice, your your fluency of speech is just a unique characteristic about you. And mm-hmm. there may be times when it's not as smooth and there may be times when it is super smooth. And either way, it's okay. And, and I think that is... 
that in itself, self-esteem is important, especially for the younger generation. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we'll get into the older part of, of the realm of it, but speaking from a younger generation, being heard and being seen no matter what it is, mm-hmm. is important. So imagine now that you have some sort of impediment on top of that. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of weight to mm-hmm. try to communicate with your peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, even in this day and age, as adults who stammer, it's still hard to communicate with your peers. Yeah. So imagine a, a six, a seven, a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's a lot of pressure. It is. And so we encourage our kids to... Um, you know, in building up their self-esteem, especially when they're really young, you'll find like they're so resilient and so they don't let it bother them. And then we teach them how to um, um, advocate for themselves and to say to their peers, we practice things like, you know, um, you know, I don't care what you say about my voice. My voice is my voice and I mm-hmm. love it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we teach them to, you know, the same way you would empower a child about, you know, their hair texture or, or any other kind of unique attribute about them we we try to empower our kids to say listen your voice is your voice and it's and you are empowered to say what you want to say and so we um utilize both technical things so in terms of ways to shape the stutter Mm -hmm. but then we also provide a lot of adaptive supports in terms of making sure like cognitively they understand their stutter so that they can go to their friends and say hey this is why I stutter. This is why my voice sounds like that. Because what we find with kids is that actually educating kids. So when a kid says, well, why does a child sound like that? Or why does a child look like that? Or why is why is that child different from mm-hmm. me? Right. And a lot of times parents will be like, don't point. Don't say that. That's not nice. Explain it. They have a question. They have a question. Explain it to them. Make it a class project. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, let's let's learn about it. Absolutely. And so through that education, that helps to create a more inclusive environment, a more supportive environment for the child. And so then when their peers are on board, you'll find their peers will be like, oh, hey, you use smooth speech, thumbs up, you Mm -hmm. know, and you'll find like the peers become, yes. The reward is there. It's And it becomes this like great intrinsic motivation for the child because they are being supported by their peers and so then they'll be like oh miss faith i you know had to read out my book report today and i only started two times because Mm -hmm. you know like i used my strategies and it was so hard but i did it you know and that sense of accomplishment that the kids experience let me let me just toss this out how does that make you oh it makes me so happy oh i I mean i just you know i just love all my patients (laughs) they're my kids Uh and i can say that because i'm a mom so i know what it feels like to love a kid Mm -hmm. And oh my, there's some that just, uh, they just grab at my heartstrings. One of the things I, 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 you know, when I talk to people and, you know, this is a little bit off the subject. When I talk to people, I think part of the joy of what they do is the success of what they do. Mm -hmm. In other words, the joy that you get from working with this is the success of them seeing Mm -hmm. it in you. One of my patients, actually, um, we just, he just graduated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So he's on a break right now, but um, he is about to go into high school Mm -hmm. and very severe starter, one of the most severe kids that I've worked with. And we did a a 12 week episode of care, right? Um, At the beginning, 9% of the time he stuttered. 
which is huge, which is a huge percent. Um, when we were done, he was down to 3%. And if mm-hmm. you remember at the beginning of our conversation, I was saying anything over 2.5% is considered right. a stutter. So he went from 9% to 3% of the time stuttering was like great, happy, proud of himself. And actually at the end of it, he was like, I want to be a speech therapist. And I was just like, yes, we need more guys to be in speech therapy anyway. Mm. And I was like, I tell you what, if you still want to be a speech therapist and I'm still at HSA, I will make sure you get every internship, every like support, I will be there for you, you know? And I check in with them still, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one thing that we tell our families like, once you've come to HSA, even if you're not actively on our caseload, you can call us anytime. If you pop in, see if we have a free minute to talk to you, send us an email. We want to, we, you know, once you're one of ours, you're always ours. You're always ours. <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're here to celebrate all of the challenges, celebrate all the, so all the victories, support through all the challenges. Even if you're not actively on our caseload, we make ourselves available. And, you know, it just makes you feel so good to say, but okay, there's like another generation coming down the road. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the they're current. inspired because of their own, you know, he was just like, you know, it was so hard for me. And now, like, I feel like I can handle the pressure of high school. I'm not worried about people, you know, making fun of me anymore. And I just use my strategies and I know what I need to do. And, you know, when I'm home and I'm with my cousins, I don't focus on it as much because I know they don't care. But like at school, I'm a little bit more concerned about it. But mm-hmm. he's like, I can handle high school now. I feel great about going to high He He wasn't feeling as overwhelmed and nervous about mm-hmm. going to high school and I just think it's just so wonderful that he can go move into secondary school with that level with of that confidence. Level of yeah. Confidence. Oh man. Folks, you're tuned in to uh, Bobo 89.1 FM. I'm your host Chuck Taylor and it's Healthcare Today with HSA talking with Ms. Faith Geely. Uh, we're going to talk about stress, stuttering and some outside factors when we come back from the break. Stick and stay. We still got a little time left right here on Healthcare Today with the HSA. HSA's Cardiology Clinic is now located at Smith Road Medical Center. Our cardiology team provides expert care and treatment for heart conditions such as coronary artery disease, heart failure, arrhythmias, hypertension, congenital heart diseases, among others. The new location offers state-of-the-art cardiac diagnostic testing, including echocardiograms, ECGs, and stress tests. To contact, call 949-8600. At HSA, your heart matters to us. Now back to Healthcare Today with HSA and our host, Chuck Taylor. Thank you for tuning in to Healthcare Today with the HSA. I'm your host, Chuck Taylor. We're talking about International Stuttering Day. Actually, my fault. It's It's International Stuttering Awareness Day. This happened on October 22nd. But uh, talking here with Ms. Uh, Faith Geely. And one of the things, Faith, I wanted to ask you about is stuttering uh can be caught through imitation or hearing another person doing it and you're hearing it and then you start doing it is this is this a Something to keep concerned about? No, it is such a myth. <laughs> you cannot catch stuttering. Um, like I said, we all stutter. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, you know, there it is natural for us to kind of follow along the cadence of, of, of someone speaking, which is why a lot of times when we speak to someone who stutters, if we are modeling that smoother, calmer speech, they may, may um, speak a little bit more clearly. But no, you can't catch a stutter. If you're a teacher and you stutter, you're not going to, you know, teach all the kids how to stutter. Like mm-hmm. that is just absolutely a myth. Um, everybody can stutter. Everybody has the potential to stutter. But people who stutter just happen to stutter at a higher percentage than what is considered to fall within the norm. 
normal ranges. Right. And the, the normal range you said is 2% of your... Less than. Less than 2%, 2% yeah. of your speech should be... A study is normal. Right. That so, is a normal cadence that you can live with. That, that is That is workable. That's understandable. Uh, what's... What would be one of the higher percentages that you've seen? I mean, and, and, and this is not putting anyone's uh, medical out there, but just clinically, what yeah. are some of the hires that, that impair people from functioning? Um, so my worst stutter I actually did that I worked with was not even here in Cayman, and mm -hmm. it was um, I, in the university clinic when I was a student. And it, this person stuttered so much that my my professor actually was observing the the assessment and came in and had participated because she had never seen someone who stuttered. And she was like a professor with 20 plus years of speech okay. therapy under her belt. And that person stuttered 16% um, of the time and also had secondary behaviors. Okay. And so secondary behaviors are the additional behaviors that we may see as coping strategies. And so um, for this particular individual, she had a lot. Um, so she and, and it was a it was a girl, right? It was a lady. And so, you know, a lot of times a myth is, is that stuttering only happens in boys because it happens more often in boys, but it can happen in girls as well. And so she presented with a lot of secondary behaviors. Um, so she did some of the stuff where she avoided eye contact and she grimaced. Um, but she also um developed some tics where she would like clear her throat or make um like sounds like with her with her mouth um in between to try to stop the stutter so she would like um make sounds like and that kind of stuff to try mm -hmm. to stop her stutter um and you know was studying to be a nurse wow. and so like really really wanted to be a nurse and was told by her university like you need to get help because your communication is going to impact your ability to be a nurse. Um, and she was still getting intervention in the clinic when I graduated. Um, but my professor said she was able to graduate okay and, mm -hmm. and be okay as uh -huh. a nurse. Because I had emailed her. I was like, what happened to right. <laughs> so-and-so? And when I go to ASHA from time to time, the American Speech Hearing Association, um, they're... They have an annual conference. Mm -hmm. So I go from time to time. And so um, I often stop by my university booth yeah. uh, and <laughs> say, hey. <laughs> and so what's, what's cool now is that, you know, you know, you're long in the tooth when people you went to class with, like who graduated with me, are mm -hmm. now like professors and, you know, clinical supervisors at right. our old university. And I'm okay. like, whoa, <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> but, but yeah. But the, 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 the job is, is, I, I would think that that has changed so much over the years. Some things have changed a lot, um, and some things haven't changed that much. And mm -hmm. so it just sort of depends on, on the field. I think the biggest thing that has changed is, one, we kind of have more research supporting a lot of the stuff that we did. There was evidence that said, if you do this, this works. If you do this, this works. But, like, we didn't understand the why. But now with increased, like, um, medical technology, like, we mm -hmm. know that using, like, um, time syllables and using some external kind of compensatory strategies where you're helping to provide a rhythm. Mm -hmm. We knew that worked, but we didn't know why. It was just a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. But now with but advances in technology. Technology and science supports that. Exactly. We're able to do PET scans and see what parts of the brains are lighting up when you stutter versus when you don't stutter. And when you add in the intonation, seeing the difference in that, we're able to know that it's these four particular genes that are attached to it. And those genes also are associated with that part of the brain. 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, like, so now it's connecting the, it's dots. Connecting the dots. So, so uh, with, with that being said, what sets the HSA apart? I, 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 I hear some of it, but I just want to be kind of clear on to it with, with, with how they approach and how they continue to help develop languages and mm-hmm. cognitives and things of that nature. Our culture and our core values um, just really push for a very patient-centered and a holistic approach. We, we don't believe in that siloed approach where we're just only looking at the disorder and focusing on the fix-it mentality. That is, I would say, the difference between when I was a student clinician and now that I'm an established clinician. The difference is, is in the attitudes towards persons who have variety of disabilities. The focus is more on inclusion. The focus is not on the medical model of fix it, fix it, fix it. Yes, we work in a medical setting, but our view is much more of a hybrid where we're including the social model of disability. And so really and truly our focus is not on chaining you to the clinic for the rest of your life. Our focus is on empowering you, empowering the people around you, educating the people around you because there is such power in education. Mm -hmm. We have a plethora of knowledge, not only just from university, but we also have vigorous continuing education requirements to maintain our our skill set and make sure that we're constantly challenging ourselves to do what is evidence-based as the evidence um, changes, right? right? And so we see that in the model of care that we use, the way that we're very family-centered, family-focused. You know, COVID was a huge wake-up call, I think, for a lot of healthcare practitioners because with COVID, when you weren't able to see patients... And then you realize, like, these parents were like, what do I do? These loved ones or the family members of the strokes were like, mm-hmm. what do I do? And we realize we really dropped the ball because we shouldn't be so wrapped up in these families having to access me or you or any individual clinician that they can't, at the very minimum, maintain some level of support for this person um, on their own. And we've dropped the ball. We need to make sure that we're including family education, parent education. Um, You know, we have the siblings come into the session sometimes and Mm -hmm. participate so that they know how to interact with their sibling. Um, We work with the teacher. We help the, the child make a presentation to their class. You know, so we're making sure that it doesn't matter what setting that patient is in, they are supported. Completely. Um, completely. You know, my personal philosophy is I, I'm going to love you through it. And I think HSA's core values of being caring, respectful, being responsible, you know, excellence, like all of our core values um, and integrity, right? And mm-hmm. all of our core values, I think, are intrinsic into like everything that we do in the clinic. And it shows in the results that we get. We get great results. And so, and our families are happy with the services that they Definitely. receive at HSA. Um, you know, we see a high volume, yes, but you're never a number. You're still an individual when you come to HSA. And I think that is one of the things that I Um, in closing and wrapping up that I have to say you present the person to be able to go out in the world and function absolutely you you know because a a lot of times you hear oh you know it was a clinical setting they were doing fine here but then they go out in the real world Mm -hmm. and in it's not a productive no person you might see me there's times people might see me in the middle of the workday and you see me at Foster's you see me at Kirkcomb Center and you see me you're like what am I doing there? And you might see somebody in a wheelchair. You might see, you know, a kid. You might see an adult. You might see us with someone. You might see us with a family. And it's mm-hmm. like, 
but it's because we're like, okay, you can do it in the clinic. Now let's do it at school. Now let's do it at Burger King. Now let's yeah. do it at, because that is the real world. That's where they need to be. And that's where they need to be. It's, it, I don't care if you, if you do it in the clinic. Can you do it in your real life? Mm -hmm. You know, and so we get the patients involved from the very beginning. I sit down with my patients. The first, for the first thing we do is we do have a bunch of bullseyes. What are the bullseyes? Or is it any of these or is it none of these? Tell me, what is it that's more important to you? Because I can sit there and I can tell you, well, I've assessed your language and I've assessed your speech and you have a 5%, you know, 5% um, disfluency rate, disfluency index, and you're, it's characterized by whole word repetitions and therefore we need to do X, Y, and Z. But I really want to know, I, I know this basic stuff, but how is this impacting you? Mm -hmm. Is it interfering with your ability uh, how, to make how friends? Are you, how are you going to stand how are in you line coping? in in order or how, how are you going to go to the movies exactly how, how are you going to pay for food how, exactly how are you going to function i've had patients where they're like my goal is not to stutter when i play minecraft because when i play minecraft i do it with the headset and the mm -hmm. microphone and i'm talking to the other people and i want to make sure i don't stutter so i download a minecraft onto my laptop and mm -hmm. i bring in my laptop when we have and our session and i'm works. like okay i don't know how to play minecraft miss faith is old i mean i look it but i am now <laughs> you know and i'm like okay show me how we and i'm like Let's use our strategies while you're explaining Minecraft to me. And then now, okay, and then we practice playing. We're going to do a tele-session. Mm -hmm. And so you stay home and you are going to join our team's call and we're playing Minecraft, you know, and the kid is engaged. I'm learning something new, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and it's like it doesn't feel like therapy. And the next thing you know, an hour has gone by and the session's done. But the kid is done beautifully right. because they're intrinsically they're, they're, they're motivated. Growing. They're, they're growing. Forward. And that's what it's all about. And that's the type of care that we offer at HSA. And that's not just me that's my whole team my whole team is like that and so i'm just so thankful that we're growing in the right direction with people with the with the right um, mentality and skill sets and you know we have such a loving supportive um and and competent like highly mm -hmm. skilled team all of our therapists have mastered our master's level of speech therapists and i think that says a lot about the the quality of care and intervention that you're going to receive at hsa when it comes to your stutter we all know what to do we're mm -hmm. all competent in what to do and and we like to do it in a patient-centered, family-focused way that's also evidence-based, so you're going to see results. Thank you so much, Ms. Faith, for stopping by here Thank you. today. Um, it's been an interesting and informative talk, and I hope we were able to help somebody out there um, make the right choice. If you are, are in the valley of decision trying to figure out what to do, you know, give Ms. Faith and the HSA a call and they can definitely help with yourself or your child or maybe a loved one. Absolutely. So they can email at just general information info at hsa.ky but you could also email me. I'm the team lead so I'm great at disseminating and making sure that you get your appointment so you can email me faith f-a-i-t-h dot geely g-e-a-l-e-y at hsa.ky um, and you can reach us at 244-7675 or 244-2733. Thank you, Ms. Faith. That was it, folks. Another exciting episode of Healthcare Today with the HSA. I'm your host, Chuck Taylor. We will see you when we see you. And uh, as always, be good to each other. Keep it right here at Bobo 89.1 FM.